thank you, uh, Louis, and for Elevate Church for your warm welcome. It, if you're fairly new here, I've actually been here a few times last year, and Mark's got me lined up for a few more times this year. So I think this is my first time in 2018, which is fantastic. Thank you, guys, for um, thank you, Elevate Church, but thank you for that wonderful time of worship. Uh, it was so much more than singing songs, wasn't it? It's just, it is all about presence of God. And what an honor it is. You know, whatever you've done during the week and pressures and, you know, things happening at home, maybe even a, a disagreement with your partner on the way to church, happens sometimes. But just for that time of, ah, slow down, breathe in and allowing God to breathe on us, His presence, it is beautiful. You just want to uh, I just want to bottle that and take that home with me and open up during the day and just think that was beautiful. And I think that it also blessed God. He wasn't going, oh, come on, guys. You, uh, you sing, didn't you sing that song last week? Nothing like he's just going, hey, angels, listen to these guys. In fact, don't, don't just listen to them. Their hearts, their hearts are turned towards me. Their hearts are receptive. They're soft. And it, it blesses God, which is great. So Jesus, he has a week before that time in the garden, but before his betrayal, denial, his disciples scatter, the injustice of the religious system, his crucifixion, he's got a week. You have ushered in the kingdom of God. It is gaining momentum. You are a revolutionary. You have begun a revolution of love with a hashtag, strictly inclusive. In your wake are some of the most fragmented, broken people you would meet that the religious system would never have in their building or part of their establishment. So Jesus has a week. So what does he do? What does he say? Where does he go? Does he, for the first time, make his way to Rome, the very epicentre of the Roman Empire that is oppressing uh, God's people and the nations of the earth? No. Let Caesar do his thing. Does he go to Jerusalem, go to Novotel or Holiday Inn and spend the whole week in Jerusalem, spending time with the educated, the religious, and just spending time with the influential? Nah. He spends a lot of his time, possibly his favourite place on earth. We're going to hear about that this morning with some of his favourite people on the planet. In John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, I'm going to read from the message because it, it, there are times Eugene Pedersen, uh, he, he just writes it so much like narrative. So six days before Passover, Jesus entered Bethany where Lazarus, so recently raised from the dead, was living. Lazarus and his sisters, which is Martha and Mary, invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Of course she did. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic, aromatic oils, anointed and massaged Jesus' feet, and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of the oils filled the house. Contrast. 
verse 4. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who should have known better, that's a smile a little bit, sorry Eugene, should have known better, brackets, even then getting ready to betray him said, why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have been easily brought 300 silver pieces. He said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but also embezzled them. Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honouring the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you. You don't always have me. So what does Jesus do? Where does Jesus go? We read Jesus entered Bethany. Places are very significant. Places is where God's kingdom comes and invades. The place could be a home, it could be a temple, a synagogue, it could be a village or a city. And as we look at the ministry of Jesus, we notice a lot of ministry, surprise, took place in places. Jesus performed his very first miracle of turning water into wine in a place. The place was Canaan. Or some people, he turned wine into water. You know. Nah, he turned water into like, not just wine, not $10 bottles, no, probably $500 top shelf wine. In Sychar, not many religious people would ever go to Sychar. Sitting by a well, he ministers to a woman. Failed marriages and part of a failed religion. And yet Jesus spends time and we have the most comprehensive teaching on worship during that encounter. But then Bethany. This is a place where Martha, Mary and Lazarus live. This is a place where Jesus visited probably on many occasions, but on one occasion, Jesus showed up. Martha was doing the serving, the housework, getting the lasagna ready, and yet Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. It was a posture of devotion. The place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and the place where Mary anointed Jesus with oil. Mary came in with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils. So Jesus enters into Bethany, he enters into the home, and now Mary enters into the narrative. Mary comes in, already a disciple of Jesus, the one who sat at the feet of Jesus, and she came as a worshipper. And she has, for some time, she has received a revelation of Jesus. She is seeing Jesus in a way that many religious people weren't seeing Jesus. And certainly even some of Jesus' 12, 70 disciples weren't seeing. She saw Jesus, that he is strictly inclusive. His compassion, his love, his devotion to his father who sent him his preaching, his power, his authority. And so she, having received revelation, she had to respond because that's what worship is. We respond to revelation. And I don't believe this was a calculated moment. I believe what Mary did was very uncalculated, very spontaneous. Some would say, no, I'll use the word, but I'll use it 
positively, what she did was reckless. She got this jar of very expensive perfume. Some people say today it would be equivalent to about $20,000. For her, it would be more than likely her inheritance. Parents have never been mentioned, so the chances are she's living there with her sister and younger brother. And it's almost like, here is my future, here is my security, and in a moment, I'm going to waste it. I'm going to break it open, and I'm not going to pour a tithe of my perfume. I'm going to pour it all over Jesus. I'm going to massage his hands. I'm going to pour it on his hair, and I'm just going to do it because I am compelled to do it. It's almost like I must do it. There is nothing else I could imagine more beautiful, more appropriate, though she wasn't aware that Jesus was about to, in a week's time, be handed over to the religious. It was just in this moment, compelled by Holy Spirit, it's like, I'm going to give Jesus what He deserves, and that is everything. I'm not going to give an offering. I'm not going to give a portion. I'm going to give Him everything. Worship. True worship is always costly. Always. You know, have, have you ever thought to yourself, maybe even coming here today or maybe other times, oh, not really in the mood for worship. Not really in the mood for singing. I've had, had a terrible week. Had a horrible morning. I've woken up with a migraine. Oh, no. <laughs> healing, healing. Uh, for some of you who love surfing, you would know there is a, there's a swell, <laughs> and you're here, <laughs> not in the mood, or at the end of worship, that didn't do anything for me. I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't like those songs. I prefer Hillsong. I prefer Bethel. I Bring back the blue and the brown ball. Come on. Woo! Number eight from the brown ball. It's no longer I that liveth. Okay. <laughs> uh, worship's not about us. Worship's not for us. Worship should never be dictated by our emotions, whether we feel like it or not. Should not ever be dictated by our personality, where well, I'm an introvert, so I'm an introverted worshipper. It shouldn't be dictated by our circumstances. I've oh, Rob, if you only knew the week I had. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the team. In many ways, it's not even about the music. It's about him. And somehow Mary knew that. Chances are she was illiterate, uneducated, living in first century Palestine, still influenced by, sorry, Greek culture, um, philosophers, Aristotle, who said women are a deformed image of a man. <laughs> Josephus, the Jewish historian, who said women are inferior to men in all their ways. Please do not Twitter that. Rob said women, <laughs> that was Aristotle, Josephus. 
But here's this woman living in a time where women were belittled. Did you realise that many Jewish men in the morning would pray to God, oh God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, I thank you that I'm not a slave, and I thank you that I'm not a woman. And yet Jesus was unlike any other man, any other rabbi. There was something about Jesus who was so inclusive. He ministered to women. He even allowed women to minister to him. He was supported financially by women. And he was soon discovered it was women who were with him at the cross. It was women who came to anoint him for his burial, and it was women who were the first to see him at his resurrection. So Mary saw something in Jesus where she just felt, all I can do is give him everything, and all I have is this oil, and I'm going to pour it on him. I'm going to waste it on him. I, for a moment, I am going to be reckless. I don't care what people think. I don't care what Martha says. I don't care what Peter, James and John says. I am going to pour this on Jesus. And the fragrance of the oils filled the house. The house for a time smelt like roast lamb, espresso, lasagna, (laughs) And in a moment, it's like, Brute 33? No. Old Spice? No, no. This is a priceless oil. This is inheritance. This is a year's wage. This is extravagant. This is passionate. This is reckless. And the whole house was filled with this aroma. But if you had discernment, It wasn't just the smell of the aroma, it is the smell and fragrance of true worship. It is a life poured out. It is the aroma of this girl saying, I can't handle this anymore. I've got to do something. I've got to pour my life out upon this man. I'm going to give him everything. And so you can imagine for Jesus, this oil, it's in his hair, it's in his beard, it's in the pores of his skin. Maybe for a day or two, wherever Jesus went, when he went into Jerusalem, what is that fragrance? It is beautiful. It's expensive. Oh, it's Jesus. Wow. But then, everywhere that Mary went... She smells just like Jesus. I recognise that smell. How is it that Mary smells like Jesus and Jesus smells like Mary? It is the fragrance of worship. It is the fragrance of a life poured out. Mary has poured her life out on Jesus and Jesus is pouring His life upon Mary and upon the world. It is the aroma of worship. The most important thing about Mary, the most important thing about each one of you, more than you're a husband or a wife or a man or a woman, employer or employee, 
a follower of football or tennis or you don't like any sport or you, you know your bank account, whatever it is, the most important thing about you is you are a worshipper. The most important thing about Mary is she is a worshipper. Jesus deserves everything. We have a quote from Oswald Chambers and he said, the consequence of abandonment never enters into our outlook because our lives are so taken up with him. The consequence of abandonment never enters into our outlook. I don't think when Mary was pouring this out, she was thinking about herself. She was thinking about, oh, hello, I am showing up the men. She isn't thinking about, oh, hello, look at me, look at me, look at me. She's not thinking, I'm giving him everything. Wow, everything, She's not even seeing it as abandonment. She's just seeing it as, this is what he deserves. This is my spiritual act of worship, to lay down my life, to give him everything. Mary was so caught up. Her life was taken up with him so much that she wasn't thinking about, what's Martha going to say? Because I remember Martha wasn't very happy when I sat at the feet of Jesus that time. Look at my sister. Tell my sister, get to work. Do it. You know, it just, Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. No, her audience was one. Her audience was Jesus. As we were worshiping this morning through singing, who, who was our audience? Worship team, who was your audience? Yeah, it's not a performance, it's not entertainment. And I think what this girl does is, it's like she's a paradigm shifter. She has really redefined worship. (laughs) You wanna know what worship is? Read this story, look at this girl. Got nothing to do with the songs, whether we're in the mood or not. It is before an audience of one. It's all about Jesus. Worship is for Jesus, to Jesus, because of Jesus, unto Jesus. It's all about him, an audience of one. Verse three, Judas Iscariot. In Matthew's account, the other disciples were grumbling But here, John, I do remember Judas even then getting ready to betray him. So already he has a divided heart. Already he is deceived. And we know about him that he was entrusted by Jesus to look after the money for the team, for the the missionary campaign. And he was embezzling. He was taking money that was given to Jesus and the team to preach the gospel and he was taking money and seeing this act of worship rather than going, oh Jesus, I'm so sorry. My heart is divided. This woman has, he just thought, oh, foolish. Try to sound religious. 
which is what religious people do. This money could have been given to the poor. He couldn't give a rip about the poor. He was just thinking, oh, what could have I done with that money? If she gave that money to us, I could have got some of that money. What a contrast, 300,000 pieces of silver. Sometime later, Judas thinks, I reckon Jesus is worth about 30. The lesson we can learn is if we really enter into worship, we're radical. And we don't think about self, we abandon and we give God everything. There will be critics. And it comes from within. I'm not saying this church, but don't be surprised if you think, I'm just going to be a true, passionate, extravagant worshipper. There may be times that people will criticize you. You're over the top. Settle down. But who's your audience? People pleaser or God pleaser? Is it about them? Is it about you? Or is it about him? When there are paradigms that shift, when there is something new, there will always be critics. The conservative, the religious, and Judas was that. He was shown up by a woman. He should have known better. He has been with Jesus much longer than Mary. He has seen more than Mary. He has witnessed more than Mary. He has heard more preaching than Mary, but he didn't really understood worship. He didn't really know Jesus. What does Jesus do? He's like a big brother, verse seven to eight. Let her alone. I don't know why Eugene Pedersen didn't say, leave her alone. I think it reads better. Leave her alone. She's anticipating and honouring the day of my burial. She's probably, I am? Burial? What are you talking about? You'll always have the poor with you. He's not putting down the ministry of the poor. He's just saying this is a reality. There always will be the poor. But today, I'm only with you for a limited time. You have me for now. What she has done is remarkable. Matthew's account, I love it again from the message. When she poured this perfume on my body, what she really did was anoint me for burial. You can be sure that whenever in the world the message is preached, what she has done is going to be remembered and admired. And here we are, 21st century, Elevate Church, and we're spending our time thinking about Mary. Jesus sticks up for Mary. He defends Mary. He defended Mary when he visited it some time ago when Martha was doing her thing, saying, hey, discipline my sister. And Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. You know when your name is said twice. I don't know if your parents have. Yeah. Martha, Martha. What she is doing is good. You should be doing the same. Sit down and take on that posture of a learner, of a disciple, a posture of endless devotion. Once again, Jesus is defending Mary. What we learn from this, Jesus will always accept worship 
that is costly, extravagant, and passionate. That doesn't mean we have to be loud, but we have to be passionate. I'm an introvert, but I'm a passionate introvert. Doesn't make me a great person, it's just, Jesus has ruined me. (laughs) And so has Mary. Because what do you do with this story? There are, you know, the the boundaries and things that we put in place that are appropriate, not appropriate. Let's give 10% to the Lord and let's show up one day a week or one service a week and let's do this. And and she just says, oh, everything. What do you do with that? There's another woman. We don't know her name. We know she's a, a widow. She's outside the temple with some of his disciples and watching religious people come in, to the tr- putting money into the treasury and religious people, you know. <laughs> Hello, loads of money. Probably a tithe, a tithe of their wealth and incomes. A woman, a widow, puts in this coin that's not even like loose change. It's just like, and Jesus goes, oh, that was beautiful. Again, she gave everything. So in our contemporary church that we're part of in the 21st century, we have to be very, very careful that we don't come as consumers. You can go to McDonald's as a consumer. You can go to the movies as a consumer. You can go to Coles or Woolworths or IGA as a consumer. Go to Greater Union as a consumer. But when you come to church... You come as a worshipper. We come to pour out our life again. Worship is a life offered to God 24-7. In one sense, we don't come to worship. We come as worshippers. We don't come and soon, as soon as we get here, oh, oh, now I'm a different person. No, you, you're, we're worshippers. But this one hour once a week, all that we have experienced with the Lord in the workplace, the marketplace, in the home, we, we bring all of that in, what we're discovering about Jesus, we bring it in and we come as worshippers and not as consumers and together we lay down our life to one who laid down his life for us. So a couple of questions before I close in just a time, very short time of meditation. First question, and I'm almost tentative to ask it because I've got to ask it of myself as well. How costly was our worship this morning? Really? Yeah. I actually struggled coming here this morning because I knew what I was preaching on. And not that I'm in a bad place, but I wish I was in a better place. But I've got to ask the question of all of us and I've got to ask it of myself. Really, how costly was my worship 
our worship this morning? In the last day, the last week, how costly has my life been before God? Have I laid down afresh? Has my life been a life of surrender? Next question. Did I offer something costly to God or did I come empty-handed? Did I come, come on team, feed me, come on. Do your thing so you can feel me, so that I can feel good. Or did I come like Mary? I'm just going to give you everything again. Again, I surrender my life, my priorities I surrender my finances, I surrender my relationships, I I, I surrender my rights, I I surrender entitlements, I I, I surrender my, my longing for approval, I surrender everything. It's more than a song. So a time, a one minute meditation before I hand over to your pastor. And their questions again. What is most valuable to me? What do I hold to be most irreplaceable? What would I be lost without? What do I think of with most intensity in the long stretches of my thought? What is my incentive for living? What gives my work meaning and purpose? This I worship is at Jesus. Father, we come before you and we present our hearts open wide to you. Some of those questions we could answer honestly and some we couldn't, but that's okay. That's why you're so gracious and that's why you're so open and that's why you're so willing with your arms open wide for us to step into your grace. But God, that we have the guts and the confidence to have that conversation with you, to have that conversation with ourselves. Father, I I invite you here today and I ask that you infiltrate our lives, that you investigate our heart and investigate our mind, but for the benefit for us because of you. And Lord, I pray that no matter where we're at or no matter what's going on in our lives, that your peace that surpasses all understanding settle on our minds and hearts and that we can confidently grow, stretch, mould and shape into being all that you have for us. We ask this in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen.